We are uh, picking back up. If you remember when we talked a few weeks ago now, uh, Jesus was just beginning what we call Passion Week, that last week before uh, his crucifixion. And he's boiling some, some core teachings down, but one of the things that he's doing is really beginning to push the Pharisees, really beginning to push them. And he, he tells a series of three parables at the beginning of this week, uh, all designed to draw attention to the fact that the parable, or the parables, the Pharisees, the leaders, the teachers of the law, the way that they're living, the way that they have set up religion among the people is not the way that God has intended it. In fact, it's, it's the opposite of the way that God has intended it. And so he continues with his parables, and he tells a story of a wedding. And we're going to look at this parable of the wedding banquet today. Any of you who have ever planned a wedding know that this is a huge deal. Wedding planning is, I would know because I had two things that I had to decide. I don't remember what the one was. Uh, the other was my tux, and Aaron brought me two pictures, and I said, I like that one, and she said, you're wearing that one, and I said, okay. And that was my involvement in the wedding planning process. But I know there's a lot of work that goes into it, and you want it to go perfectly. Uh, the most awkward wedding that I've ever been to in my life was right after we had left here for the first time uh, and moved to New York. And one of my elder's daughters in New York and one of my teenagers from Ohio got married. And so all of a sudden I had these two very distinct and two very separate worlds that were colliding. Very different worlds that were colliding. Uh, my entire youth staff, who we we enjoyed being together. We loved to laugh together. We knew how to have a good time together. They all came uh, for this wedding. And it was, I mean, they're sitting over there. It wasn't Josh's, but it was Alex, his oldest brother's wedding. And um, for me, my church in New York at that time, when we first got there, was a much uh, more mature crowd, I guess, a much older, a much more conservative crowd. And so I just remember kind of trying to bridge these two different things. I wanted to be with my friends from Ohio, and I wanted to laugh and have a good time. Uh, my friends from Ohio were out on the dance floor doing all sorts of stupid stuff. And, but I, I also needed my new church to see me as a grown-up pastor. They needed to be able to see, okay, there's our pastor. He's stately and serious. And, uh, and so I'm trying my best to do this, and it was going fairly well. Until we got into the best man speech, I can't tell you what Alex's brother stood up and said. Uh, if you know the family, it was pretty hilarious. Uh, if you don't, it was pretty inappropriate. Um, and my friends, I was sitting at a table with some Ohio friends, and they're dying. They're laughing. And I remember looking over at a table that had most of the people from my New York church, and there was not one smile on one face. And then all the cousins and brothers came out and began to sing to Alex and Becky a version of A Whole New World with one of them, a Kendall, I think, had on a coconut bra and a grass skirt. And again, I look over at the bride's mother, bless her heart. Oh, she's upset. She's mad. And I went out into the hall to get something. And I turn back around, and there she is. And she had me up against the wall with her finger in my face. I was being blamed for ruining the entire wedding. Just because these kids have been in my youth group, I tried my best with them. It's the parents' fault. It's not my fault. I did my best. But I remember her saying, as she pointed right in my face, you ruined this. And my response was, oh, we'll laugh about it someday. <laughs> no, we haven't yet. Um, 
That was a long time ago, too. Someday we may. But I get where she's coming from. Again, you have a picture in your mind, and they had poured themselves into this wedding. I'm sure they had spent a lot of money on this wedding, and she had in her mind what a perfect wedding was for her baby girl. And it did not include men dressed in coconut bras and grass skirts at all. You want a perfect wedding. But if you look, if you watch America's Funniest Home Videos even one time, you know that things go wrong. Weddings don't always go the way that they're planned. And what we have here as we get into chapter 22 is Jesus tells the story of a wedding and a wedding feast that goes really wrong, seems to go really wrong, but really ends up just the way it was planned. Read with me as we look at chapter 22 here, verses 1 through 14. Jesus spoke to them again in parables, saying, The kingdom of heaven is like a king who prepared a wedding banquet for his son. He sent his servants to those who had been invited to the banquet to tell them to come, but they refused to come. Then he sent some more servants and said, Tell those who have been invited that I prepared my dinner. My oxen and fattened cattle have been butchered, and everything is ready. Come to the wedding banquet. But they paid no attention. They went off, one to his field, another to his business. The rest seized his servants, mistreated them, and killed them. The king was enraged. He sent his army and destroyed those murderers and burned their city. Then he said to his servants, The wedding banquet is ready, but those I invited did not deserve to come. So go to the street corners and invite to the banquet anyone you find. So the servants went out into the streets and gathered all the people they could find, the bad as well as the good, and the wedding hall was filled with guests. But when the king came in to see the guests, he noticed a man there who was not wearing wedding clothes. He asked, how did you get in here without wedding clothes, friend? The man was speechless. Then the king told the attendants, tie him hand and foot and throw him outside into the darkness where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. For many are invited, but few are chosen. Reading this at first glance can be a little bit of or it can be a little bit confusing, and there's a lot going on here. And I want to look at three things, and then I want to look at some, uh, some application here at the end. But just quickly, so we're all on the same page, the symbolism of this parable. Again, a parable is a story that has one meaning, but then a deeper meaning for those who want to hear, for those that are looking uh, for truth. The king in the story is God the Father. The son is, of course, his son Christ. The servants we're going to look at in a little bit here. The servants are different people at different times and the invitation that goes out this invitation to the to the king's wedding feast is the gift of salvation it's eternal life it's the reward of heaven the reward of a relationship with God now today we may read this and go what's the big deal people didn't want to go to the wedding we're, we're busy we have things to do I'm sure almost everyone in here has probably had to say no to something like this at least once it's not as big a deal in today's society today's culture Back then, this would have been the social event of the year. Just any big wedding would have been the social event of, a year, of the year, and it would have been inconceivable to think that someone would turn that down, that someone would say no to that. But this isn't just a big wedding. This is a royal wedding. This is an invitation from the king. This is a party that would have gone on for days, even weeks, and the thought of someone turning down that invitation. So if you put yourself in the seat of those that are hearing this originally. The thought of someone saying, I'm, I'm too busy. I have to go out in my field. I have to go take care of my business. I don't want to go. That thought would have been absolutely incomprehensible 
to refuse to attend a wedding feast given by the king. This was going to be an event like nothing else. And so Jesus jumps right in. He doesn't pull any punches, and he quickly captures the attention of those listening so that he can effectively drive home the point of the story, that the people of Israel have missed the boat when it comes to salvation. The people of Israel have missed the boat when it comes to the Messiah. And ultimately, salvation wasn't going to be the way that they thought it was. Salvation wasn't going to be exclusively just for them. It was going to be offered to everyone. Everyone was going to receive the invitation. Uh, let's start. Let's look at the initial invite. All right? Let's look at the initial invite. When you're making out a guest list for a wedding, most people start at the same place. You start with family. And it doesn't matter. All of us have family members that are kind of that black sheep or that maybe we, you know, they get... They get a little excitement in them, and they can be an embarrassment to the family, but just still start with the family. These are the people that you're going to invite to the wedding. These are the significant people in your life, the ones that you love, the ones that are closest to you. And so as, as this invitation goes out, it goes to family. This goes to the children of God, the invitation that began when God called Abraham. As Abraham looked up into that starry sky and God said, I'm going to give you descendants at number as the stars in the sky. You're going to be my children, my chosen people, and told him they would enjoy a special relationship with him. This was the, the nation that God would bring, ultimately, this salvation that he's talking about here to the entire world. And so they received the invitations first. This is family. And over the years, God sent many messengers to the nation of Israel to make sure that they were ready when the feast was ready. To make sure that they knew this wasn't something that was supposed to be a surprise for the people. God had sent prophet after prophet after prophet. And some of those prophets had been ignored. Some of those prophets, as he said here, had, had even been taken and killed because people didn't like their message. And so God went further and he sent messengers that we read about in the New Testament as well. John the Baptist went out to call the Jewish nation to the table. Jesus went out, and the apostles went out, and others that Jesus had commissioned, and each one with the same message, the kingdom is here. The same message, the feast is ready. The king is throwing a banquet, and you are invited. And again, some simply ignored them. Some were too distracted and decided not to come. Some took it further and, and killed those with the message. John the Baptist was beheaded. Jesus was crucified. Many of the apostles were tortured and killed because of the message that they came with. But they refused the offer. The people refused to come. And so in the story, the king is furious and says that he sends his soldiers out and they completely wipe out those who have refused this invitation. And this is a prophecy and this is an event that literally was fulfilled just 40 years later as the people of Israel tried to revolt and Rome sent in their army. And completely laid Jerusalem to waste, killing the Israelites that lived there, leaving the city in ashes. And so where do you go from there? The first invitations had gone out. They'd been completely ignored. People decided that they didn't want to go. The party was ready. The table was full. The Messiah was here. But God's chosen people had better things to do. Better things to do than, than to do what they were called to do from the beginning, than to be at that place where their entire history, their entire relationship with God would finally be what it was meant to be, would finally be what it was promised to be through Jesus Christ, through the Messiah. 
And through that unwillingness, the king turns and sends his servants back out. And this time, it's with a new focus. Now you have the new guest list. The plan didn't grind to a halt. The plan didn't stop. The plan simply moved on. And what we need to understand here, this new guest list that would include everyone. The servants went out to every street corner, pulled everyone in, both the good and bad. This new guest list doesn't just happen because of the Jewish refusal. We are not offered salvation simply because the Jews missed their Messiah. I had the opportunity years ago, I think it's been almost 10 years ago now, to go to West Africa and to speak at uh, what's called a field forum, which is all the Alliance missionaries in the general area all came to one place, they have a retreat, and they bring in a, a speaker. Uh, initially, I was just going to visit one of my teenagers who was a missionary apprentice there. And then after I decided to go and we would made all those plans and we found out it was the same time as their field forum, they asked if I would speak. And of course, I think I was probably about 30 years old. I'm, I'm way more humble now, all right? I'm really, really humble. Back then, I was just sure, well, they asked me to speak because I'm awesome. I mean, why wouldn't you ask me to speak? All right, I'm sure they planned the whole field for him just because they knew I was coming. And I got talking to the guy that picked me up at the airport. And he was third generation Alliance pastor or Alliance missionary. Like, you know, I'm third generation Alliance. We start talking. And we do the whole, anytime you meet someone that has Alliance roots, you do the, hey, do you know this person? Do you know this person? Usually I find out I'm related to the person I'm talking to. That's normally how it goes. But we start talking and, hey, do you know this pastor? Yeah, and we found out we had a lot of close mutual friends. And then, he, then he says, do you know this guy? A pretty prominent pastor in the Alliance. Yeah, yeah, I know who that is. He goes, yeah, that's who we asked to speak first, and he couldn't do it. Then he did it again. Well, do you know this guy? Yeah, I know that guy. Well, we asked him next. He couldn't do it either. We did that three times. I was the backup plan to the backup plan's backup plan. That's how far down the line that I was. I, I no longer felt quite as special. But you could read this parable and you could feel that same way. You could read this parable and you can come to that same conclusion. Well, God only decided to save us because of the Jewish response. God only decided to save us because the Israelites really refused that offer of salvation. And I can tell you that you would be completely wrong. We are not God's second choice. We are not only able to take advantage of the gift of salvation because the first choice didn't work out. God wasn't scrambling in heaven going, ah, what do I do now? They're not coming. What do I do? Salvation for the world was God's plan from the beginning. And what Jesus is doing here is addressing a belief among the Jews that salvation would come just for them. Because of that special relationship that he had, because they were the chosen ones, their belief was salvation is coming. For them, salvation looked much different than what God actually provided. But their belief was salvation is coming and it is for us. It's for us alone. But God has always planned to save the world through Jesus Christ. Isaiah 49.5 which is written well before the events in Matthew take place. And now the Lord says, He who formed me in the womb to be his servant, to bring Jacob back to him and gather Israel for himself, for I am honored in the eyes of the Lord, and my God has been my strength. He says, it's too, is it too small, or it is, sorry, it is too small a thing for you to be my servant to restore the tribes of Jacob and bring it back, and bring back those of Israel I have kept. You hear that? It's too small a thing. That's a tiny part of the plan. 
to restore Israel, to bring them back into a relationship with me, to save Israel. I will also make you a light for the Gentiles, that you may bring my salvation to the ends of the earth. The Jewish people were and are the people through who this plan has been carried out. They were the people that God chosen to bring Jesus Christ into the world at the right time, in the right place. And while God's plan came through that nation and afforded them a unique relationship with him, salvation was for all. Salvation for through Christ was for all. And Israel had the first chance. They had the first chance to recognize him. All of those clues, all of those signs had been given to that nation. But when he didn't look like what they wanted, he didn't look like what they expected, they missed it. The first year that uh, Ethan, my oldest, played soccer, his coach had a son on the team, which normally if you're coaching little kids, you nobody wants to go through that unless you have a kid on the team for the most part and back then everybody wanted the same thing all right this is the age I think he was five or six this is the age where you play every position you're gonna and really there are no positions you throw a ball out and they all just go right to it and then like 12 little kids running all over the field but there was one position that every kid wanted to play and every kid was begging to play and it was goalie and it wasn't because really playing goalie was even fun it was the simple fact that when you were a goalie you got to put on a shirt that was different than everybody else's and you got to put gloves on your hands that nobody else got to put on and it was hilarious because the gloves were huge like these kids hands didn't even fit in the gloves most kids that want to play goalie they had no clue what they were doing you know they'd sit there and they'd play with the goal post or they'd play with the grass while the ball just kind of dribbled past them and went in for a goal but I remember every kid begging to be the goalie and the first kid that was chosen was his son. Because of that special relationship the coach had with his own child, he offered that position to him first. But the plan was always that every kid would play. The plan was always that it would be available for everyone. Salvation was offered the same way. It was for everyone. It was always to be for everyone. But the children of God were kind of given that first glimpse. They were given the first crack at it because of that special relationship that they had with God the Father. And when that new guest list was made, when the servants returned with people for the feast, it wasn't somehow less of a salvation. It was the same feast. It was the same party. They were eating the same food. Everything else was the same. It was only the response that was different. Whereas those first guests had been disinterested, too busy, even abusive and murderous, those on the new guest list came eagerly and sat at the table. And this is where, this is where the story gets weird. It's where it gets a little bit complicated. Because now you come to the dress code. And up until this point, you have a pretty straightforward, easy-to-understand story. But now, seated among those guests is a man who's trying to blend in. He's accepted the invitation to come eat. He wants to enjoy everything that the king has to offer, but he's not wearing the right clothes. And when he's asked why he's not wearing the right clothes, he doesn't have an answer. And again, this is where it starts to get uncomfortable. Because Jesus says that man then is taken and he's bound up and he's tossed out into the darkness, the symbolism of which is hell. He's taken and he's thrown into hell. 
Now, I think most of us can sympathize with not wanting to dress up. I, I don't know a lot of people over the age of four <laughs> that like to dress up. I remember Ethan, when we told him that we were going to go to my dad's wedding years ago, his response was, oh, do I have to wear a suit? I mean, he was just a little dude, and that was the response. He loved my dad. He didn't have a problem with the wedding. He loved the fact that there was going to be great food, but his first thought was, do I have to dress up? Do I have to put on a tie? And we see a man here who apparently feels the same way. And you can read this, and you can go, well, wait a minute. Everyone's eating, and everyone's drinking. Everyone's having a good time. The good have been invited. The bad have been invited. And now we're going to make a big deal over what someone is wearing? It doesn't seem right, but there's a few things that we have to understand. The first thing we have to understand is the clothes and what the clothes symbolize. Jesus is not teaching. Let's be very clear. He is not teaching that if you don't wear a tie to church, you go to hell. All right? As I was preparing this message, I found several places where that is the application that the pastor made. If you do not dress up, if you do not look your best, you, you go to hell. Um, not at all what Jesus is saying here. Not at all. The clothes are symbolic of what's required to attend the feast. The clothes are symbolic of what it takes to enter into the presence of the king, of what it takes to have a relationship with God. And what is that? What's needed? What do we have to wear? The clothes are not good works. The clothes are not morality. The clothes are not certain prayers or church attendance. This was another poke at the Pharisees that would have clothed themselves with all of those good-looking external things. But the clothes here are nothing short of the righteousness of Jesus Christ. The clothes here are those who have covered themselves with Jesus, those who have a relationship with Jesus Christ, those who are in Christ. Isaiah 61.10 says, I delight greatly in the Lord. My soul rejoices in my God. For he has clothed me with garments of salvation. He has arrayed me in a robe of righteousness. As a bridegroom adorns his head like a priest and as a bride adorns herself with her jewels. It's that robe of righteousness. And Paul puts it this way in the New Testament in Philippians. I no longer count on my own righteousness through obeying the law. Rather, I have become righteous through faith in Christ. For God's way of making us right with himself depends on faith. And so the symbolism there, the dress code for this feast are the garments of righteousness, the garments of holiness that come only through a relationship with Jesus Christ. And then we see the gift. We see the gift. And this is where I think things start to make a little bit more sense as we look at the reaction, the seemingly overreaction. When I read this the first time, I remember as a kid thinking, it doesn't seem fair. What if this guy didn't know? What if he didn't have the money to go get nice wedding clothes? If the king invited everyone off the streets, I mean, where'd they all get their stuff from? Where'd they all get their nice clothes from? And this is where the listener would have known something that most of us don't. At a royal feast, the clothes would have been provided. At a royal feast, all you had to do is respond to the invitation. You respond to the invitation, and everything else you need is given to you. And so this man sitting there in his own clothes, this man sitting there in inappropriate attire, would have been given the exact same 
access to the clothes that he needed that everyone else had, and he would have chosen not to wear them. The invitation of God to come into his kingdom is an open invitation. It's an invitation to all. And when you accept that invitation, everything that you need is given to you. Our sins are covered. We're able to stand in the presence of a holy God because we're given the righteousness of Christ. We are made holy. We are made perfect in God's sight through faith in Christ. Being clothed with him, being covered by him, is the only way we get to join the feast. And that only comes through accepting that gift. But listen, to accept this gift is to accept the terms. Many people want to know God. Many people want to enjoy eternity in heaven. Many people want God uh, to answer their prayers, but we want to do it in our own way. We want to do it on our own terms, and it simply doesn't work that way. God's grace is an amazing thing. God's grace covers our sins. God's grace gives us blessing when punishment is deserved. But we accept that grace on God's terms and God's terms alone, not ours. To accept that grace is to accept Christ. It's to seek the forgiveness of our sins. And it's to allow him to change our lives, to be different. I used to bust tables when I was in college at a very fancy restaurant just outside of Nyack. Uh, This was the kind of restaurant I think back then this would have been Oh my goodness, this would have been 20 years ago, a long time ago. Uh, probably about 120, 150 bucks for two people to eat at the restaurant. So 20 years ago, that's, still, that's a lot of money today. 20 years ago, it was even more. They had one policy. You had to wear a jacket and tie. Any, pers- any male that ate there had to wear a jacket and tie. It was a formal place. And if you showed up and you didn't have the right clothes, we had a closet full of jackets and ties. And you had to put one of those on if you wanted to eat in that restaurant. And every once in a while, someone would refuse. Someone would say, I'm not wearing that. I'm not putting that on. And they were asked to leave. They were not served in that restaurant if they didn't have the right clothes. And I remember one time the owner just shaking his head after he just dealt with someone and they'd been asked to leave and saying that he never understood why someone would not just put on the right clothes and come in and enjoy their meal. But people are stubborn. (laughs) And in the case of this parable, some are so stubborn that even though they want the benefits, they will refuse the offer. They will refuse to clothe themselves with Christ. And the reality is those people are removed from the feast. The reality is those who are not clothed with Christ when they stand before their creator will be thrown into hell. A literal place that scripture teaches And it seems harsh, but really, what do we expect God to do? He invites us. He initiates the relationship. He offers us what we need to have in order to enjoy the feast. And what he gives us and what he offers us and what he provides for us came at a huge cost, the life of his son, Jesus Christ. But there are some, like Ethan at the wedding of his grandfather that want to enjoy the wedding, but they don't want to change their clothes. (laughs) They're comfortable how they are. And in the end, those who refuse the offer will be thrown into the darkness. And when you look at it in light of the fact 
that because of our sin, that's the fate that all of us deserve. You begin to see the love of God that has gone to great lengths to save those who will accept that gift. That simple gift for the marriage feast. So here's some of the truth you can take out of this today. First, all of us receive this invitation. All of us receive the invitation. For those that have given your life to Jesus Christ, you should rejoice in that fact that God has invited you to the table. This isn't a story for some. This isn't an invitation for people that look a certain way or who all believe exactly the same thing. The invitation is for all. Jesus died on the cross. Jesus rose again for everyone. For God so loved the world that he gave his son. And when we understand this, it has to change the the way that we look at other people. It has to change the priority that we place on sharing our faith with others. Because each has received the invitation. Whether we look at them and think they deserve it or not, the reality is we didn't either. The second thing that we take from this is that reminders still need to be made. If the servants hadn't gone out with that second invitation, the wedding feast would never have been eaten. The invitation is for everyone, but reminders still need to be sent out. We still need to be active in sharing this invitation with others. John was a messenger. Jesus was a messenger. The disciples were messengers. And today, God works through us. We join that privileged company of those bearing a reminder to God's invitation to the world. And it's all of our jobs, it's all of our role to take part in that. And to spread the reminder that the kingdom is here. And the third thing that we see that we need to remember is that grace doesn't eliminate standards. Grace doesn't eliminate standards. And this is a big one today because I see a lot of churches leaning more towards it's all about grace, it's all about grace, it's all about grace. And in a lot of ways it is all about grace. But they use that mantra to say I can do whatever I want because God's grace will cover it. And they miss that dual call that you see throughout scripture go and sin no more i don't condemn you go and sin no more it's that grace i'll forgive i'll cover i'll give you the clothes you need to come to the feast but it's also that call to holiness to accept the invitation is to accept it all to accept the terms and jesus says no man comes to him except or comes to the father except through him nothing else will cut it There's no other way. We can look as holy as those Pharisees did on the outside. But if we want to accept the grace of God, it comes only through a relationship with Jesus Christ, or you'll be asked to leave the party. And so again, for us as as Christians, this is something that we should read. This is something that we should look at. And our first response should be overwhelming thankfulness should be overwhelming thankfulness that God invited us to the feast, that we have a relationship with him, that we have the opportunity to spend our eternity with him, that what we see here in this broken world is not the end, that there's a glorious eternity that waits. And we ought to be looking for those that we can bring to the party with us. We ought to be looking for those that God is moving in their lives and working in their lives that need to hear that there's more, that need to hear that there's hope 
that need to hear about a relationship with Jesus Christ. And then we need to be living in a way that fully embraces the grace of God, but also is striving for holiness, is striving to look more and more like Jesus each and every day in our lives. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you again as we've been working through these stories. We thank you again for the deep meaning that they give to us. And Lord, for this one, we thank you that you have invited each and every one of us to a relationship with you. You've invited each and every one of us to the royal feast, to the wedding banquet. We thank you, Lord, that not just do we get that invitation, but that you've given us everything that we need. All that we need uh, to attend, all that we need to be welcomed, all that we need to enjoy, all of the benefits that you offer are found in a relationship with Jesus Christ. So Lord, again, we pray that you would take this, and I pray that your spirit would do what only he can do in our hearts and in our lives. I know that something like this and reading truth like this means different things to different people. And so I ask that your spirit would take this and your spirit would apply it to the lives of each and every one here. That all of us can grow, all of us can move, all of us can take whatever that next step is in our relationship with you. That you would push us towards proclaiming the message that we're invited to the table of the king. We pray this in your name. Amen.